for me, my story is a lot of trial and error, um, but I think it starts um, pretty, pretty personally, even though I didn't realize at the time. I was in middle school, and so my mom actually worked here at Duke. Um, she was a microbiologist, and um, she actually on, on, on a drive back home got into a pretty bad accident and um, ended up needing a lot of um, like neurosurgical procedures to sort of correct a lot of the nerve damage in her spine and in her head. When you're in middle school and you see your parents scared, that's just not something that you're, you're used to seeing. And so I think it's just a really like jarring experience. My mom, I think, I mean, really both of my parents ended up developing this really awesome relationship with this neurosurgeon. Um, and I remember that being like a really um, impactful thing when I was young, saying like, whoa, this was a situation where my parents were scared and they put their trust in somebody else. Like, that's really cool. This is Krunal. That was the first of many moments that slowly but surely convinced him that he wanted to be a doctor. There's nothing I'd rather do than be the person who sort of like interfaces with a patient and is, is sort of that kind of like that neurosurgeon was for my family. This is Voices of Duke Health. I'm Karishma Sriram. Today, first year medical students. Krunal, Jess, Fred, Sonali, Ilana, and Grant. Their conversation was actually recorded a month into medical school, back when they were all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Over many of our past episodes, we've heard from some seasoned physicians at Duke, but today, we're going to take it back to the beginning of the whole medical journey, starting with how these students landed here at Duke in the first place. For Jess... It started when he was 15, and he got really sick. I had an Epstein-Barr virus infection. Like, you know, most people get mono and they recover, like, easily. Uh, I was sick for, like, maybe a month and a half, two months. Wow. Uh, I ended up in the pediatric ICU. I, I just really wasn't fighting back, you know? My immune system couldn't handle the, the viral load, and they had no idea why. So I had, like, you know, eight doctors at once, like, trying to figure it out, and no one, no one ever did. It was one of those things that just like, it took so much time to recover from and not knowing why is like probably the most frustrating part. And that, that's kind of what, that it, it was the not knowing that made me want to do it, you know, because there's so much more to learn and even the experts don't know. And I find that interesting. I have a job where you're never really done learning. Fred's motivation was also tied to illness. His dad had a stroke when he was young. Luckily, he was okay. But he did have to retire, and so I had a stay-at-home dad, which was lovely. You know, we'd go to the supermarket, we would cook dinner. I mean, I would run around screaming while he cooked dinner. Mm-hmm. But I do kind of think about the way that in my life growing up, illness was kind of omnipresent, because even as he came through about as well as he could, he did have to retire. Um, he was constantly taking medications. He, you know, they made him overweight, they made him sleepy, and I like was forced to think about the ways um, the stories that we generally tell about ourselves they kind of shunt illness to the side or they put it at the very end or it's something like with you Jess where um, you know it's an event that happens and you get past if I could tell um, providers now and also my future self is to just have some sensitivity to not just the um, you know the nuts and bolts of illness and the treatment plan and all of that but the way in which the experience of illness is really shaped 
by how things are presented, how you feel supported, you know, whether you feel this is something operating on you or something in which you are playing an active role. So now knowing what brought them here, I kind of wanted to get a sense of where they see themselves going. I think physicians are really, really well positioned to make a big difference. And one of the one of the biggest reasons is that people in general really trust doctors. Um, I think doctors are, are of all like the professional, different professions, like if you think about like lawyers and dentists and all those different things, I think doctors tend to rate like pretty highly on like just general professions that people trust. And Kernal has thought a lot about this idea of trust, especially in relation to policy. I think a lot of times physicians, at least I've observed, tend to sort of steer away from that because, you know, like how, how dare we talk about money and medicine and, and politics is always sort of a taboo thing to, to, to bring up sometimes because there's so many different perspectives. But um, I don't know. I think, I think physicians are, are in a really important place to sort of at least weigh in on that and, and think about that from just sort of a patient-centered way. You know, physicians, nurses, everyone part of the sort of care team are the ones who are actually interacting with the patient and can usually know sort of how different policies can impact different people um, in, in a very unique way. And so I don't know what I'm going <laughs> to do in, in, in the next 10 or 15 years, but I want that to be, I think, a really important part of, of my like, professional identity as well. Sonali also wants to be involved in quote-unquote non-medical things like policy and business, but she brings up a good point about distrust too. I understand the conflict also. Of, yeah, I, think I, I guess I trust it. Trusted is like trusted a, a is tough a really word. tough word because I think we are trusted to know the most about the field that we're in, and not necessarily trusted to take care of people with the, their best interests at heart. So I think it's like where the trust comes is? in. Why do I think that is? Well, I think the distrust comes from the fact that physicians are in a really high point of privilege and to a lot of their patients, it's kind of hard to trust someone to have, you know, the patient's best interests at heart when what the patient's best interests are are, don't necessarily align with what the physician has to face in in a day-to-day basis. Like most physicians don't have trouble accessing healthcare, of course. So I think patients may have a tough time seeing physicians as people who care about those things when they don't necessarily have to. So these first years have been thinking a lot about why they want to be here, what kind of physician they want to be, how they want to leave their mark on medicine. They have hopes, but they also have fears. We're like at the cusp, we're at the very, we're like about to step into it. So it all seems glossy in a way and like heroic and inspiring and I don't know. I, I'm I'm afraid of it going the other way and feeling like, well, we're all gonna get sick and die eventually, or you know. I mean, we are. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and like to be reminded of that every day may, might make you a little bit less inclined to live more. Hopefully, it makes us more inclined. But. Or you just get desensitized to seeing that every day, and it you become just indifferent to it. That's what I'd be more concerned about. I think. And what if those negative feelings, in whatever shape or form impacted their relationships with their patients. I want to treat patients, you know, the way that I've, differently than I've seen other people treat them or the same way that I've seen my, you know, my role models treat them. But I'm just so afraid that I'm going to get to finally, after years and years of training, and get to be an attending and then 
have an interaction with the patient where I step away and I think like that was exactly what I didn't want to be. You know, like that's why I went into this so that there aren't physicians treating patients like that. And I know it's going to happen. And if I can step away from that and be like, hey, I got to I got to change or I got to maybe make a change because whatever environment I've put myself in is making me treat patients in this particular way. And I was wondering, where did this fear come from? Well, Ilana knew this doctor and noticed some things about him. It just seems like he sort of puts his patients into these boxes and then thinks about them as just in a group of that type of patient. And I want to like always be thinking about my patients holistically and be thinking about the different ways in which their lives affect how they need to be treated. And Jess was a little more worried about expectations they'd have to face and had already been facing. They want everyone to be very well-rounded and likable, but at the same time have done all of these things. And it's like you're expected to fit more into, you know, 25 hours into a 24-hour day, basically. And this really feeds into anxiety. I, I struggle with it almost every day. And I think part of it is we're in an environment where everyone is extraordinarily talented and have interesting stories. And you just, you, it, it seems like everyone has their life, lives together and they know what they want to do. And like everyone, because they act friendly and open about everything, they're not really telling you that underlying feeling of anxiety. You know, they're not really expressing it. And they're like, why is everyone so anxious? You know, that's always the question. But it's like, I know exactly, because I feel that, I feel that a lot, you know? And Fred was worried that those expectations and anxiety might encourage putting career above self. There's a lot of pressure to like lead the pack and to, in order to lead the pack, you have to really be decisive early on so that you could build that resume. And if you want to navigate to the sort of position where you can be the sort of doctor that you want to be, um, that kind of takes excelling and not being the sort of person that you want to be for a lot of your life. You know, it takes backburnering relationships and, um, you know, really spending all of your time studying, research. I feel like everyone's storing nuts for winter, kind of. Yeah. You know, they, they want to make sure that they are someplace where they can live the kind of life that they want to, and they're not sure that, um, that they could trust that they'll get there. I think that's a dangerous position to put yourself in, because I, I think... I, I, I at least know I can become obsessional about these things mm -hmm. and it'd be the only, like consume everything else, you know, and then you're kind of left with only that and like just a hollow feeling. This is something Grant can really relate to. He learned from experience how tough it can be to put other priorities on the back burner. There are definitely a lot of, you know, times where I would like skip out on different like social events or, you know, maybe going to see like a movie with friends or going to a sports game with friends. Um, because I was like, I'd rather, you know, go spend this time in the library and make sure that I, you know, know all of 20 amino acids or something like that. Um, and so I think that being out of school and being away from that environment allowed me to kind of really take a step back and see what's more important to me. And it's definitely influenced me this year. And I mean, also pass fail doesn't hurt either. But um, <laughs> being able to like be like, hey, you know, these extra two hours of studying really aren't going to make that big of a difference. I'd rather go get dinner with friends or I'd rather go kick Krunal's button NHL, you know, <laughs> just, you know, little things like that. <laughs> and then I asked them what they would say to their future selves if they were struggling with burnout. 
I definitely think you gotta you gotta get back to what got you into medicine in the first place. I think what's really cool about having this conversation is, I mean, now we're all gonna be on record with saying like what's what was important to us like hold, what, hold each other accountable yeah, yeah like yeah, what yeah. got us here you know what i mean but that's the kind of thing that you know medical training is really long and it's really tough right and so my advice would be to like remember back to what got you in it in the first place and then try to go find that again and you know maybe it changes maybe like whatever got you into medicine in the first place is not really what drives you now and so maybe you need to find something else that still that you're passionate about or what's really important to you but I mean, like, at least from, from most of our stories, it really sounds like there's kind of a common theme of personal connection, like connecting with others is really important to all of us. And so like, that's something that like, if any one of us, you know, 15 years down the road are being like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so burned out. Like I would be like, Kronaller, like Snolly, go connect with a patient, like go and like sit down and just have a conversation with someone and like really realize like the humanistic side and why you got into this in the first place. And Kurnal thinks it's important to find empty space in your life. For me, at least in the past, it's been really just regenerative. Um, so, you know, for example, this summer, I didn't do anything. And it was me fantastic. <laughs> and I felt like when I got to school, I felt so rested and full of energy. I think it just gives your gives some space for your mind to wander um, and to, for you to do sort of whatever you want. And so for me, that was just, you know, reading whatever book I felt like reading and it was not necessarily medicine related or not necessarily related to anything I did in the two years beforehand but it was just kind of what I wanted to do at the time it wasn't a productive thing by any measure but it made me feel good and so I guess to the extent that anyone can just try to carve out some time to just sit and do nothing um, is really important. So how do you do that now like I mean definitely being in our like first year of med school like good we're question. busy like we have, we have I, things it's been all a while since i've done nothing okay. <laughs> that's a good question no, i'm kidding <laughs> we're like how like how would you like plan to do that like if if other people were going to like take that advice to heart i like, feel like you, i feel like you have to be it? really intentional about carving out time i think i think it is possible but you have to sort of it, it's kind of like a it's like kind schedule of like a, your free time you have yeah. To, yeah it's a, yeah. yeah it's kind of it's kind of a weird like kind of brain twist but it's like yeah you have to plan to do things unplanned maybe that could mean um you know i'm going to spend like 9 p.m. to 11. Instead of going tri to trivia, I'm going to <laughs> sit there alone in my room and just like do whatever I feel like doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think you just have to like schedule it is, is like a practical piece of advice for it. I think a lot of it comes down to mindfulness. When I'm working out, I'm like, if my mind's wandering, then I have to be really intentional about being like, nope, focus on the workout. Look outside all those trees. Like, don't do anything. Don't think about anything that's worrying you. Like this time is for like self-care only. And then also I feel like a big part of it is not feeling ashamed for when you are taking that time to yourself. Cause I feel like that makes any amount of free time feel like a burden. And that's un really, really unfortunate. And then we got to my favorite question. What are they excited about? What I'm really excited for by the end of med school is to see sort of what changes I go through because I have no idea what's coming. And I'm really, I'm really excited to have no idea what's coming. I think what's exciting about being here is, I mean, we have so many different like role models come through like every single week and you kind of like put your, you just kind of think of yourself as being in their shoes in 10 years and you're like, whoa, that'd be pretty awesome. But that happens like 18 times a week. And <laughs> I think that just sort of that optionality and, and that all those different possibilities is, is really exciting. I also, I think it's interesting, both of you guys, when talking about what you're excited for, are looking at stuff that's like way down the road, um, like, you know, five years, 10 years. Um, 
I'm really excited for like tomorrow or for like Monday. Like I think that we, there's like so much that we don't know. And just having that experience of, we all kind of talked earlier about being lifelong learners and being able to, you know, the reason that we came to medical school is because we want to be here and learn things. And so I'm just super excited that, you know, I think Duke really jam packs, you know, not only our first year, but all four years with learning something new every day, whether that's in a clinical sense or in, you know, building that knowledge foundation that will then help us clinically. Um, it's just, you have so many opportunities to just kind of grow as a person and really learn. And that to me is really exciting. Getting to this point takes a lot of forward thinking. And I think my mind often was just in the end goal, but like, it's fun. Like it's seriously fun. fun. You're like in physics, like getting a problem and like that's fun like think about it like that you know and like when we came here and we were doing our MMIs I was totally unprepared but like you get in there and you get this interesting question and that's fun like just roll with it and you want this for a reason you want it because it's fun and the whole thing is fun it's not just getting there and so like seeing everything is an opportunity to like to like have an interesting conversation, like when you go into your interview, like have an interesting conversation and like you're passionate about this, you could talk forever about the things that you're passionate about, that's why you're here and that's what's good about this moment, not what is gonna come. So to take every day as, as a good day and not as a day to get you to another good day. Thanks to Fred, Jess, Ilana, Grant, Sonali, and Krunal for stopping by our listening booth and sharing their thoughts. If you like what you just heard, we hope it'll spur your own conversations. Ask a friend what inspires them or what they're grateful for. And let us know if you would like to record a conversation in our listening booth. Visit www.listeningbooth.info to learn more. Voices of Duke Health was created by Anton Zeiker and Jonathan Bay. The show is produced by Susanna Robertson. Theme music was composed by William Dawson, musician-in-residence at Duke University Hospital, and produced, arranged, performed, and recorded by Mark Simonson and Jack Fleischman. Additional music for this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to Duke Institute for Health Innovation for making this podcast possible.